We are so thrilled to be partnering with Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. As you all know, I'm a huge Hinge advocate as I met my partner of almost three years on the app. Even before meeting him, Hinge was always my go-to app because I met more relationship-minded people here and had some great dates. Clearly, I haven't been on the app for a little while, but I re-downloaded it to check out some of the new features. One that stood out to me was the voice prompt, my best friend's take on why you should date me, where your friend can hype you up. Not only does this make the profile creation less daunting, but it's not always easy to see your own green flags. So to test it out, I asked UA some fun prompts to get her take on what I could put if I was dating again. So the first one, how long have we known each other? What was your first impression of me and how has that changed? Julie and I have known each other for almost 10 years. My first impression of Julie was that she's very social, but I've learned that she has a lot more depth to her beyond the social butterfly that she is. My next prompt, what do you think are my green flags? I would say she's deeply loyal. She believes in love, curious mindset, and she is fearlessly ambitious. And then last but not least, what kind of friend am I? Julie is the kind of friend who will always have your back, no matter what. Damn, that feels nice to hear. So download Hinge and try voice prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. Hi, I'm Yui Shu. And I'm Julie Kraftchik. We're active daters turned dating sociologists. Here to dive into everything modern dating and relationships. Welcome to the Dateable Podcast. Hi, Dateables. Welcome to another episode of Dateable, where we discuss everything about modern dating. But this time of the year, apparently it's time of the year for SantaCon. Julie, I saw your post <laughs> and I was like, holy shit. Okay. This is still happening. I want to clarify I didn't actually go to Santa Con this year. I just watched I it. know. I did I did wear a Santa hat. So <laughs> Santa Con, for anyone that's been living under a rock, is basically an excuse to day drink all day in Santa attire. You wear like, you know, the gingerbread outfit. I saw some dreidels going, sexy Santas. You got everyone in there. I did SantaCon for many, many years, and I was actually talking to some girlfriends about this, like the group I used to always do it with. Okay, so everyone hits that point in SantaCon that you're like, never again. It's amazing <laughs> for a bunch of years, and then you hit that point. Maybe you had like one too many drinks or something went awry, and you're like, nope, I'm done. I hit my point. I got to move on. So we all went there. Every year when I see the Santas, I usually get annoyed by them because I've hit that point. But this year, mm. I actually got like kind of sentimental towards them. And I was like, oh, oh. it's all these youngins enjoying <laughs> life, having fun, drinking on the street, just joyous, you know? And I'm like, I wanted to just kind of observe them. Like I kept trying to be like, let's go into mm. a bar just to like see them in their element. But you didn't want to partake. <laughs> you were just more like reminiscing. I didn't want to partake. Also, I had a terrible stomach flu all week, which I told you about, UA. So the last thing yep. I wanted to do was go to Santa Cod. I actually, unfortunately, had to cancel my favorite event of the year, the Crab Feed, which is my holiday mm. go-to that I've continued to go to for years. And even last year, we established that it's the perfect event for, I don't want to say older people, but I guess people <laughs> 
<laughs> that aren't doing SantaCon. <laughs> yes. So no, I didn't do SantaCon. Have you done SantaCon before or have you just lived vicariously through people? No, I've done SantaCon many times in New York and it's always such a shit show because <laughs> I think, you know, the beginning of it's always fun because you're day drinking and everyone's still yeah. coherent. But I think the saddest part is like come 2 a.m. and all the drunk half-naked Santas sprinkled all over the street who are lost vomiting you're just like this is really sad and i often wonder about kids <laughs> who grow up in big cities where they witness santa con if they're just like so grossed out by santa claus you know like they probably grow up with such a <laughs> such a terrible view of santa they're like no please don't come down the chimney like stay out of my house oh my god so i feel like it's in pretty much what is it like every major city that it's in now? I mm -hmm. learned actually it originated in San Francisco in 1994, I believe. I did not know that until wow. recently. Like, I don't know why I thought it originated in New York. I had never personally seen it until I moved to San Francisco in 2009. I remember I left my house just thinking it was a normal day, had no idea <laughs> that I was about to see like hundreds of Santas come from every every angle. And I lived, I used to live, I still kind of live actually near a street that's really prone to Santa Cod activity, Polk Street for all mm -hmm. the SF locals. So I don't live far from there. So we just walked down that and saw hundreds of Santas. I think it's still kind of fun to watch just because everyone is dressed the same and it just feels very festive. It's just the drinking that really ruins yeah. it for me because people yeah. are drinking from what, noon until whenever they pass out. So it, like it just gets more and more disgusting as the day goes on. We used to have a SantaCon pre-party at my house because I li didn't live far from that main street. And we had mm -hmm. it for years. It was a brunch. So 12 was ambitious. We started drinking probably like 9, 10 a.m. Oh my God. We didn't make it close to two though. I feel like by like even five, six, people were starting to fall apart. Eight, nine, that was that was bedtime. But I could see New York being a little oh later God, start. That's so wild. You're like... Your day is shot. You know, you're just done. But memories. Yeah. Memories. Exactly. I have so many good memories from SantaCon. In fact, I found the most embarrassing photo of my roommate from your, my roommate of like five years I went to college with. It's that one photo that we all make fun of her still for to this day. It's from SantaCon. And Facebook was so gracious to remind me of it today. <laughs> it was like, you ever get those like pop-ups that's like, in case you forgot this memory, I'm like, thank you, Facebook. This will never get old. I, I screenshotted it. I sent it to the group text. <laughs> yes, yeah, SantaCon is the uh, the root of many memories and many memories that you don't want to remember. <laughs> yeah, it's been all the holidays up at this house. So it's actually Hanukkah. <laughs> Hanukkah comes early this year. It always throws me whenever that happens. Like it feels weird that it's so before Christmas this year. But yeah, Hanukkah is almost even done by the time this will air. It's a nice lead up to all the holidays. Like, yeah, you know, like you do Hanukkah first and then you just celebrate, keep celebrating after that. Yeah. So happy Hanukkah to all of our listeners that celebrate. It's been really fun, like lighting the menorah this year and having our Christmas tree. We're doing all the holidays in here. And, you know, now that I've recovered from the stomach flu, I will be doing potato luckies this week. So we're doing it all. Oh, definitely show us on IG. I want to oh, see yeah. what you're 
what your cooking looks like. (laughs) (laughs) This is actually kind of a ridiculous story. I don't know if I told you this, UA, but like a few years ago, I had a Hanukkah party at my house with a few friends, like some of our girlfriends that you know as well. And one of our friends, Deb, she had her baby over and she was like, can I use your towel to like, you know, clean my baby or whatever? I don't know if that's the right term. But (laughs) anyways, (laughs) whatever you do with babies. I let whatever you do with towels with babies. I lent her a towel to like wash her baby up. And then, you know, like everything went out well, like we had the celebration. The next day I look in my hamper and there is like this really gnarly towel like it's like brown <laughs> and i was like did baby poof in the towel like why would she do that why would she not tell me i was so disgusted i took the towel i like threw it down the trash chute like i was just like i can't even this is so disgusting and then i went to tell my partner and he was like i used that towel to wring out the potatoes to make potato oh my god to make the potato luck I was like, thank God I didn't confront her. Because, like, can you imagine if I was like, why would you not clean up after your baby? That is so disgusting. Wait, so you yeah, have to read it out and then it leaves a brown stain? Apparently, it's actually quite difficult to make potato lockies. It's something that I typically buy because it's hard, but yeah. my partner loves cooking, as you know. And your partner's good at making them, right? Yeah. I mean, it was the first time he ever did it. He just likes cooking oh. and like following recipes. So he just, he did it. You know, he went to town. <laughs> I mean, you could probably do it. You don't have to do it like a towel. You could probably do it like paper towels. I've never seen anything like this before. <laughs> It was ridiculous. <laughs> He's like, you know, you could just throw that through the wash. It would have come right out. I'm like, communication. This is when you need communication. I mean, now we know. We go, we can go to Julie's house, shit in her towels, and just blame it on the potatoes. <laughs> I like that's what you got from this. <laughs> well, speaking of things ending <laughs> this episode, we're talking about second chances at love, where <laughs> our guests are both <laughs> divorcees who are navigating the dating scene again. We got Heather and Laura from the Thirsty Podcast. They're both in such a great place in their lives in terms of their love lives. And it just makes you think like people are often so scared of starting over or air quotes, starting Mm -hmm. over. You're never starting over. Thinking about divorce and how scary that could be or thinking about getting out of a long-term relationship and starting to date again. But Laura and Heather are proof that life can actually get better that second time around. And Mm -hmm. because you learn so much from that first go. So this conversation, I think, is such a great episode for end of the year too as you think about like starting over new new chances second chances and starting anew it just makes sense that whatever you embark on in that next chapter it's bound to be better i love talking to them we had the pleasure of being on their podcast thirsty that's how we got in touch with them is that they reached out to ua and i and we were actually able to record while we were on our retreat in joshua (laughs) tree so that was kind of fun we did a live Mm -hmm. recording so make sure to check that out too. But then we were discussing with them. We're like, okay, we want to have you on the podcast. What angle can we do? Like, what can we talk about? Like, We've talked about divorce before and, you know, we know a lot of you divorce listeners love that topic or maybe you don't anymore. And you're like, I don't want to talk about divorce. I want to talk about like what's next 
in there. And when they were talking, we were like, there's something here that's so interesting of this concept of like second shot at love. Mm -hmm. And when they were mentioning, I think there's one thing that they've said that has stuck with me that's been so fascinating is like, we should all get divorced before we get married. Mm. And it's a true testament of just like how much they learned from divorce that sets them up that much better this time around. And yeah, of course, like everyone doesn't need to go through divorce to have a happy relationship. But I think there is something there of like, you need to learn, you need to learn what doesn't work. And just because something didn't work, it doesn't mean it was a failure. So even if you weren't divorced, you probably have had that heartbreak or that relationship that didn't pan out the way you thought it was going to. And that's okay, because like all of that just helps you learn what you want, what's important to you. And that's when you actually meet the right person when you know all that. Right. Everything is just a a building block to that next chapter Mm -hmm. in your life. And both of them will express that they don't regret their marriages. Uh, They both were on the marriage train. And I think that is so resonant with a lot of our listeners is that you think this is is how life goes. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have few kids. And both of their dreams were crushed when they both got divorced. And they thought, well, like I built up my adult life for this. And now that's gone. What is it that I actually want in a relationship? And so they were both able to take a step back and to answer that with more intentionality other than just being in a white wedding dress and, you know, getting married. <laughs> that That's no longer the answer. Or is it the destination that they're looking for? Yeah. And this is definitely not like an anti-marriage episode in any way. I think the reality in today's world, though, is that it's never a guarantee anything. I'm going to bring this back because, as I mentioned, I had a stomach flu and I watched a lot of TV this week. <laughs> and I binged the entire season of Golden Bachelor, which is... It was good. I'm going to tell you, it was good. And I am not a Bachelor fan at all. For years, I've been like, I don't like Bachelor. I'm not into it. But this one, there's something about it that just like hit differently. I'm clearly not a hot take. I'm not the first person to say this. But there's something very endearing about people that are in their like 60s and 70s looking for that second shot at love. And like the Bachelor, like he lost his wife. And clearly that was an unforeseen circumstance something he never thought was going to happen to him Mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean that he should be alone forever and of course like mourning her he did but six years later yeah of course like he wants to move on and find that love again and it just shows you that you know you always can find yourself back into a place and the only constant is yourself ultimately and what you do from each experience the angle so fascinating because it's not a build up to oh my god we must get married like the regular bachelor seasons yeah. it's always a build up to that final engagement and getting married because these most of them have never been married before but i find with the golden bachelor or at least from the first episode i watched that wasn't <laughs> the ultimate experience or the ultimate goal it was just about finding love and companionship again which is like actually the whole point of finding a partner right the whole point of dating the whole point of like if you want to get married too is finding that connection and love not just the wedding itself because I'm not like a bachelor watcher, I am not a bachelor nation. And I wasn't sure if this was just a bachelor thing or 
bat like golden bachelor thing but i did read a few reddit boards and realized that it might just be golden bachelor specific but he really wore his like heart on his sleeve in ways that like i feel like i haven't seen other reality shows do like it feels more i mean of course there's still like an element of tv here so i don't want to say like totally genuine because who knows but at the same time like it felt like him and the other people were putting it out more like their feelings and i wonder if it's just like this second shot mentality it's like i've already gone through it whether that was because you know you're a widow or because it didn't work out because of divorce and it wasn't the right person but it's kind of like i've already learned i've already taken that road where maybe i don't put myself out there as much or show my true feelings and i'm just like in a totally different place of just putting it all on the line this time around yeah i do really appreciate the honesty they bring and none of that game playing because it's like they don't have time for bullshit you know they're in their 60s and no. 70s not trying to play games a here. lot of and I also, that yeah and i also appreciate that a lot of them feel like they don't need like it's not something that's they need it but they want yeah. it. They desire that companionship. Yep. And you do get a, get a sense of the thirstiness on the younger bachelor. They're like, that's just like, I need this. I need this relationship. I need it to work. And so you don't get that desperate feel on the golden bachelor. Yeah. I really want to know why the, po- this is like a missed opportunity, but why their podcast is called Thirsty. Mm with Laura and Heather because I feel like if anything their mentality was the opposite of thirsty Mm. of course when they started this podcast maybe they felt different but what they bring to this episode clearly we won't go into it all you'll hear it for yourself but it just felt like so much more self-assured because they knew what they wanted yeah Heather Laura you hear that maybe your podcast should be renamed quenched (laughs) Uh, no longer thirsty fulfilled <laughs> uh, glass fully full <laughs> uh, so many names for you all but anyways <laughs> we won't keep going we won't rename the thirsty podcast right now and because we have such a great episode and we're excited for you to all dive in and learn from this So before we get into it, a few quick announcements at Datable Podcast. That's where you find us. We are going to change our Facebook group's name. We told you we would do it before the year's end. And without further ado, we brainstormed this heavily. And we decided to land on one of our favorite sayings that floated around the Facebook group. Mm -hmm. So we are going to call it the BDE group. What does BDE stand for? Not what you think it does. (laughs) Big Dateable Energy. So (laughs) we have the Big Dateable Energy Facebook group. That's where you can connect with like-minded dateable listeners. Look for that on Facebook. We will be making that change. And we'll attract all kinds of people. And we're very much looking forward to (laughs) all the new members who may be joining without reading what the group is about. (laughs) that's the one thing that you and I were like, okay, we might need to monitor if it gets weird, might have to change the name again. But for now, we'll give it a try because we'll make the dateable prevalent enough that hopefully we don't get people that, you know, are just coming into BDE groups. We are a very inclusive community. (laughs) 
<laughs> but everyone does have big dateable energy. I think it's such a great term. I think I was a Caitlin, one of our moderators that first coined that. Someone did in our group, and I'll give her a shout out because even if she wasn't the first to coin it, she definitely uses it a lot. And I love that. It's so great. It's so okay. perfect. And last but not least, you know what we're going to say. It's the holidays. There's one gift that you and I would love. We are so close. Getting there. Getting there. So close yet so far away at the same time. But leave us a rating and review. Our goal is to get to 1K. I think we're about getting close to 800 right now. So we're still a little ways off. But we know a lot of you listen that have not left reviews. We know it's one of those things that no one does or always says, oh, I'll do it later. But if you don't mind just taking two two seconds out of your life. It would mean so much to us. You can just tap five stars. Some of you actually have reached out and said like, where do I find this? If you scroll down on Apple Podcasts, when you open up Datable, you'll see stars that are not filled in. So all you need to do is give them a big tap and then it will be live and you can add a review if you would like to. So thank you in advance. It keeps us going. Here's a trick that I have yet to try, but I think it would work. Next time you're with your friends or on a date, just be like, hey, show me your Apple podcast. I just want to see your top podcast. Search for Datable. Quickly give us a five stars. Write a little review. Just do that with all of your friends. And then we should be able to reach the thousand by the end of the year. I like that idea. I like that idea. And then you'll show your dates that you are indeed Datable. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Win-win. Awesome. Well, before we get into it, let's hear a message from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by the book, A Winter by the Sea. With over 1.5 million copies sold, bestselling author Julie Klassen's name is synonymous with Regency fiction in the eyes of her many loyal readers. A former editor turned three-time Christie Award winner, Klassen delivers immersive storytelling, satisfying romance, and intriguing mystery that make her books unforgettable. In A Winter by the Sea, the Duke and Duchess of Kent and their baby daughter rent the neighboring house, and the sisters are called upon to host a few members of staff. Emily Summers soon finds herself caught up in two rivalries. First, while striving to further her writing aspirations, Emily is torn between her loyalty to a well-established publisher and his flamboyant competitor. Second, despite her best intentions, she is attracted to one of their new guests until an unexpected visitor from her past shows up. Ooh. Find A Winter by the Sea by Julie Klassen everywhere books and ebooks are sold. This episode is sponsored by Via. We all know there are things that can help set the mood in the bedroom, but did you know a little THC could also do that? Yes, Via has developed a unique blend of pleasure-enhancing cannabinoids, libido-strengthening herbs, and a low dose of THC all into one mind-blowing gummy called High Love. This gummy, wow, it will awaken your senses, increase blood flow, and intensify any sexual experience. I've been pleasantly surprised by the High Love gummies because it is just the right amount of THC for me to have a good time without feeling sleepy. And hey, if THC is not your thing, Via also offers a wide array of other gummies without it. And everything legally ships in 50 states with discreet packaging directly to your door. So if you're over 21, you can get 15% off and a free pack of award-winning Dreams THC plus CBN sleep gummies with our exclusive code DATABLE at viahemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P.com. Let the gummies work their magic. Head 
to viahemp.com and use a code DATABLE to receive 15% off and one free sample of their sleepy dream gummies. That's viahemp.com and use a code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E at checkout. Take your passion and pleasure to a whole new level with high love from Via Hemp. Okay, let's hear it from Laura and Heather. Sometimes you learn that your checklist doesn't really matter, especially after you've gone through a divorce. Actually, after divorce, you might figure out a lot of things don't matter and the things that do matter surface. So we're talking to our guests today, Heather and Laura, about a second shot at love and how that's changed the way they've looked at dating, relationships, and marriage. Their podcast, Thirsty, is all about navigating dating after you've been divorced, which both of you have experience with. We've got Laura, who's 41 years old, lives in Chicago, originally from Washington, Illinois. There's a Washington, Illinois. Didn't know that. (laughs) She is divorced and now in a monogamous relationship. And then we've got Heather, who who's 45 years old, lives in Chicago, originally from Waxahachie, Texas. She's divorced and now in a monogamous relationship. Welcome. Welcome to our show. It's such a pleasure to have you all. We've been on your show, so we're basically dating at this point. Yeah. (laughs) Let's start with Heather. Why do you think our culture is so marriage obsessed? Why do people date to get married? Well, you know, I think it goes back to Laura and I were actually talking about this very subject with some friends earlier today, the relationship escalator, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we treat our personal life the way we treat our career, you know, like we think you get promoted to the next level, and then Mm -hmm. you work really hard, and you get promoted to the next level. And it turns out, maybe that's not how life should work. And I think we get really attached to the idea of achievement and success. And I say that with quotation marks. Mm -hmm. And then I think sometimes things go wrong, like they did for Laura and I, you get to divorce and you start questioning everything you thought about the way life should work, the way it does work, the way relationships are structured. And you realize maybe you are approaching the whole thing entirely wrong. Mm -hmm. I recently had a conversation with my boyfriend who I've been with for a year and a half. We had a breakup this spring for a few months, but we're back together and very happy. And I was getting kind of emotional because we were driving through the suburb that he lives in and there were, it's very family friendly. There are families on their lawn. They have block parties, you know, kids playing in the front yard. And I got a little tearful because I was like, I used to want that. Mm. And because I've been divorced, that's not ever going to happen for me. And I got kind of emotional about it. And I was like, boyfriend, aren't you kind of sad about that? You know, that's not going to be your life either. He's also divorced with kids. And he was like, you know, I'm not. (laughs) He was like, I was never that person that had this idea of what my life had to be or how things had to turn out. I didn't have some sort of goal of what my life needed to look like in that way. I more live in the moment and that feels right to me. And I was like, well, you're one in a million and maybe more people should think that way. And it kind of changed my thinking on a lot of things, to be honest that maybe we shouldn't be treating our lives like a job. Yeah. It is amazing just how much we're brainwashed like by society that you're supposed to take these certain steps. Laura, maybe take us back to when you met your first partner. Where were you? What was your mentality like? And how did that relationship eventually go to marriage? Yeah, I wanted to climb up all of those steps. Like <laughs> I was so eager for milestones. And I think that was part of it. I wanted those experiences and friends around me were getting engaged and planning weddings, buying first houses. I wanted to do all of those things. And I think I was too young. And again, young in quotes, I wasn't that young, but I was, you know, early 20s. Mm. I didn't have a lot of relationship experience. So I also didn't know what I didn't know. Mm. So I wanted these experiences. I was with somebody who I think we had a great friendship. I don't think we had a great romantic relationship 
relationship. And I didn't really understand what it meant to have a deep, real, raw, like relationship where you know how to fight and, you know, make up and all of these relationship skills that I think you learn as you get older. Neither one of us had those. So we got along well, and I was definitely the pusher. I'm like, I want to get married and I want to buy a house and then kids and pets and all of these things. And we did that. We did all of those things. But if I could take it back, I don't think we were meant to do all of those things together. I just didn't know. Mm. Well, and what's funny is Lauren and I actually met because we were both writers for a major wedding website. Oh. And so we were blogging about our weddings. And that's how we met. I actually went to Laura's wedding. Oh, okay. With the person she's talking <laughs> about. Laura, do you feel like that kind of fed into the whole thing? Like, I feel like for us, it was very like, do this, then you do that. And I don't know. It's so funny because you and I don't think that way at all anymore. I cared so much more about the wedding than I did about the marriage. Mm -hmm. And I can fully own that. I got so wrapped up into, again, all of those exciting milestones, dress shopping and cake tasting. And it was so much fun. But we weren't working on our relationship or uh, during that time. It was just everything was kind of just second class to the wedding. We were just so focused and I was so focused on that. And writing for our wedding website definitely <laughs> tips you over the edge. All of the wedding shenanigans. Yeah, it did have a big influence. And I wish I could just, again, have taken a few steps back and understood that. But then I think about it, if I were to get married again, I could care less. I could care less about the wedding because I understand the relationship pieces now that I just didn't understand when I was 26, 27. In your 20s, you do get really wrapped up into lots of different things. It's very easy to do so. Heather, thinking back to when you were dating with a marriage lens on, how did that influence the way you date? I mean, I know my biological clock was ticking. Mm. I mean, I, I don't know that people talk about that as much either, because I think that is a very real thing that people who would like to have babies or to have children, and you do think about that. And I was... I say a lot. I wish I would have gotten divorced before I got married because my mindset is so totally different after going <laughs> through the process of divorce and everything I've learned and everything I thought was true was wrong and <laughs> everything I thought of that I knew about myself was wrong, to be honest. But I know when I was dating, I really thought about it like I need to do this so that that happens. Like it was very strategic and I did love him, but I don't think I thought critically. I think at that point I was so young and naive that I thought if you love someone and you're committed to them, you will force it to work, you know, and mm. I'm a marathoner. I'm one of those people that like, I have a goal and I am <laughs> dogged and determined and I will not quit. And so I never saw myself getting divorced. I thought, you know, no matter what happens, we will figure it out. And I kind of had blinders on and I didn't, there were some obvious reasons why we shouldn't have gotten married. And I think both he and I just ignored it. Whereas now I bet you, he would say the same. He'd be like, Ooh, that was a reason to not get married. <laughs> you know, and we did it anyway, despite the fact that I think anyone would have told you it was a bad idea. I want to hear from both of you on this, but maybe I'll start with Heather just because to pick up on what you were saying, but like what qualities do you think you were focused on more back then that you realize like now in retrospect didn't matter and maybe even led you to the wrong partner? Well, so I met my ex-husband. I started dating him just a few weeks after getting out of a prior three-year relationship where we were supposed to get married. Mm. And I called off a wedding two months before the wedding because I found out he'd been cheating on me the entire time. Oh, shit. Mm. Yeah. And I think I was at a point where I wasn't thinking straight and I wasn't taking the time to figure things out for myself and be comfortable being alone. Because again, biological clock. I was looking for someone I felt like I could trust who was a good person 
And he is both of those things. But that's not a reason to marry someone and make a lifetime commitment to them. I was really reacting to what went wrong with the major relationship that had just fallen apart. And I think if I would have been braver and take some time to be alone for a while and reflect and grow and work on myself, I think that would have led to me making better choices. And what about you, Laura? I mean, I don't know that I was really thinking about it that hard. Mm. I met my now ex-husband when I was 24-ish and he was a year younger than me. He was fresh out of college, had just moved to the city when we met. Poor guy, like was not looking, I think, to land in a long-term relationship. But I hadn't really had any serious relationship. So I remember we celebrated our six-month anniversary and that was a huge milestone for me. I had never dated anybody that long. And so it was just one of those things where we liked each other well enough. We had enough common interests. He was a nice person. He had a good job. He was supportive and kind and, you know, and it just snowballed in a certain way where I never looked up to say, is this right for me? Is this right for him? It just continued. And again, I was so focused on milestones that I never stopped to really like reflect on, is there any depth to our relationship? Do we want the same things? We did not have any deep conversations. We just got along well enough to continue staying together. This kind of brings me back to, Laura, you and I also just talked about this, about the whole good on paper Mm -hmm. thing. I think both of our exes were really good on paper. And they are. They're good men. Mm -hmm. You know, like that was not an issue. There's more to it when you're making a lifetime partnership decision. I think people don't think hard enough about it. And I think sometimes people don't stop to think, maybe I shouldn't be getting married at all. Maybe Mm. that's not something I have to do. It's like there's this shoot, this relationship escalator that's been set up in our society and we think we've got to be a part of it. And I think if you would have asked Laura or I before we got married, do you feel like you have to get married? Do you, you know, is this something you have to do in your life? We would have said, oh no, not at all. But I don't think that's what our heart really believed. Our mouth said one thing, but we were definitely, our action showed something else. How long were you both married for? I was married for eight years. I want to say nine sounds about right. Mm. When things kind of just blow up in your face, you realize that your goal was marriage, you go through the marriage thing, you realize it's not for you, you get a divorce. What was the first moment you realized, holy shit, like that is not actually what I want. Like I call it a Truman Show moment of just opening the door and realizing, wow, I've been in the simulation that I no longer want to be part of. Do you remember a pivotal moment? I always tell people when they're thinking about getting divorced, like you need to fight for it. Like the decision to get married, I think for most people is very serious. Even if they do it with all the wrong factors in play. When you finally get married, for most people, it is a very serious decision. I always tell people, do everything you can to save it because divorce is brutal for anyone. Like, no, I don't care who you are. It is brutal for anyone. So try to save it. But if you hit the point where you have lost hope that anything will get better, when you have lost hope that things will change, when you have lost hope that things will get better than they are, that's when you need to pull the trigger on a divorce. And it's what's fair to them. And it's what's fair to you. And you can't help it. You know, this is how people feel. You might divorce a lot of times feels very combative. But in the end, I think it's an act of love to yourself Mm. and to the person you're with when you know it's over to walk away. And of course, it causes so much pain and grief. But in the end, it is an act of love. And I feel that things can be hard and right and good all at the same time. 
I remember having a conversation with my sister when, you know, my marriage had not been great for a while. And she mentioned something about me getting divorced. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm not getting divorced. Like there is a point where it just hasn't entered your headspace yet. Mm. Even though maybe the people around you can see the writing on the wall, like you're not there and you do have to get to that point. And I really thought that we were going to figure it out. But I started therapy, which I had not done before. And because I definitely wanted to independently of him, like really sort through my feelings and figure things out. And in one of my early therapy sessions, we were talking and then my therapist was like, do you realize what you just said? I'm like, no. She's like, you said I would be happier outside of this marriage. Mm. And like, I didn't even realize that had come out of my mouth. And I think it was the first time I really said it. And it was just like that. That was my turning point moment of, all right, let's talk about this and work through and figure. And then from that point on, I was done and ready to figure out my next step. So what I find so fascinating about what you've shared is so much of this was just driven by the milestone achiever mindset. A lot of it not even knowing what you want at all. So now that you're divorced, back in the dating scene, how are you dating differently, knowing what you now know? I think Laura would agree we were both total effing messes (laughs) when we first started dating. (laughs) I think I can say that. I mean, it's on our podcast, so it's out there. It's been a journey. And you know, and I, I said earlier, I know for me, I have learned more and I have grown more in the last three years than maybe in my entire life because wow. divorce forces you to look at yourself and rediscover who you are, like down to yourselves all the way down. And it, it becomes a journey. And I will say I had to learn all of it in the last few years. I think at the beginning, I had no idea what I was doing, what I wanted. I was in no mental place to be dating, but I was moving forward. And I think now I'm really looking for someone who adds to my life. I'm very happy. I have some great mm-hmm. friends. I have great hobbies. I have a great job. I have great kids. And I look for someone who's going to add to my life. I look for someone who, first of all, I respect and admire someone who we have a peaceful relationship. People don't prioritize that enough. Like so many people are, I will call myself out guilty. I would fight with them all night. The next day I just be like, oh, we're passionate. That's chemistry. No, (laughs) no, it's not. You know, and now I'm in a relationship that is so peaceful. We have arguments. We don't agree on everything, but he never makes me feel bad ever. And I think he would say the same thing. And I think not enough people prioritize things like that and think critically like mm-hmm. about what the relationship looks like and how it feels. And you don't have to be in a relationship. That's the other thing. People think it's like, mm-hmm. like you hear all the time, and I'm sure y'all hear this a lot on your podcast. Oh, I'm dating a few people and I don't know which one to pick. It's like, you know, you can also opt out entirely. Yeah. If you're not that into any of them, you don't have to pick one. Yeah, I agree that I was like a hot mess express <laughs> during early days. And I predated Heather with divorce time. And I didn't have any local friends who were divorced or getting divorced. So I was just all out there on my own on dating apps trying to figure out what to do. And it was really messy. But I have also had several serious, great, wonderful relationships where I have learned all of the relationship skills that I didn't have in my 20s and going into my marriage. And I'm really grateful for all of the experiences I have. And I just ran the Chicago Marathon. And of my three significant relationships I have had since my divorce, including my current boyfriend, all three of them were out there on the course and like (laughs) tracking me. And like, I feel so successful as a, you know, someone out there dating where I've had great relationships that have ended 
And I feel like both people have gained a lot from it and are still kind to each other. And I definitely did not have those skill sets in my younger years because I definitely would have just burned the house down in those mm. relationship endings and not been, yeah. you know, being able to re- maintain a relationship. So I have learned a lot of skills during this post-divorce time that has helped me grow so that I can land in a healthy relationship, which I am in right now. And it's wonderful, but it took me a long time to get to the point where it is like a really great, solid relationship. Yeah. And speaking of solid, healthy relationships, Laura, what are some qualities you look for in a partner now that you didn't before, before getting married? I think because divorce, being a single parent, doing so much on your own, like independence is so key for me. So I really look for somebody who values that independence in me and doesn't try and get in the way of that because I'm always going to operate the way that I do because I need to. I can't rely on someone to be there for everything. I have to be able to do it. A lot of men can be threatened by that behavior or they want to come in and help and save the day and all of that. And I'm like, I am still going to be climbing the ladder and cleaning out my gutters and doing all of the things that I need to do because that's how I'm going to be. And I have definitely dated men who don't like that behavior in me or they try and change it or question it. And so those are like certain things like, do you understand who I am and can support me? Or are you going to try and change me? Mm. So that is kind of the marker of you can spot that pretty quickly, I feel like. Although I do think divorce moms take this too far. I definitely take it too far and that you will never catch me asking for help, even when I legitimately need it. Like, I just won't. I mean, I'll call out Miss Laura over there. She dragged a dining room table all the way to the curb. I herself, people offered to help her and she said no. My neighbor's like, can I help you? I'm like, no, I've got it. And then under his breath, he's like, wow, you're really strong. And I'm like, because I just can't give in and ask for help. Like, I just can't do it. I was out of town and I came back and someone had mowed my lawn. They had gone in my backyard and mowed my lawn. They had gone so far as to water my plants. And I called Laura and I was livid. I was like, what if my neighbors thinks I'm a single mom and I can't take care of things myself? And then Laura and other friend were like, do you think your boyfriend did that as a surprise? <laughs> I was like, no, why would he do that? He lives an hour away. Sure enough, he had come over and mowed my lawn. And I was like, why did you do And I, I said this nicely, I promise. I was like, well, why did you do that? And he was like, well, I could tell you needed some help and you weren't going to ask me. So oh. I just decided to just do it. <laughs> That's so sweet. And I was like, that is so sweet. I am getting better though. Yeah. I mean, Heather, you brought up something so interesting earlier about like peace and prioritizing that in a relationship and how so many people people don't prioritize things like that. We actually have a term for it that we call like the settling paradox that people refuse to not settle for someone that's like under six feet or has like 100k paycheck or whatever it is, yet they'll settle for situationships or bad treatment in relationships. Yeah. Why do you think I mean, we clearly have some theories too. But like, why do you think that people don't prioritize stuff like peace or security and safety, like the essentials of a relationship as much as they maybe should. I think there's a few aspects to it. I think one, a lot of people don't know what love is. Yeah. Real love. I think they take chemistry and call it love. Yeah. It's not the same thing. Mm -mm. I think when you get into a relationship that is peaceful and happy and there isn't something toxic happening every other second, guess what? You have to look at yourself Mm. and you have to look at the way you're coming to the table. I know for me, I picked really chaotic relationships for a long time because guess what? They were always the clearly bad one Mm. and I was always the angel and I could like sneak in under that. (laughs) And I started dating my boyfriend. I remember this conversation with Laura. I was like, Laura, I think I'm the bad one now. (laughs) She was like, I don't know. 
you know, but I mean, that's what happens. And I think subconsciously people avoid those peaceful, happy, non roller coaster relationships because they think it's boring Mm -hmm. because they're not used to sitting with themselves Mm. and nobody wants to look at themselves and say, oh, I have things to work on. Maybe I'm not a good communicator. I think the biggest thing I learned coming out of divorce is I'm not the communicator I thought I was. And if I had the communication skills that I do now, I might not have gotten divorced actually. Hmm, That's fascinating. Well, that's interesting. Do you have any theories, Laura? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I do agree with the kind of passion aspect and people get that so confused. And so a lot of chaos and big fights and all of that happening, I feel like that ends up feeling quote unquote sexier than again, the calm, quiet, stable person. Like that's not as sexy, right? They're dependable. Or I mean, I've seen a lot of TikToks of like why you should date the nerds. (laughs) But it's kind of true. There's like that often quiet, calm dependability that we are not trained to find attractive. Yeah, because we're trained to think butterflies, Mm -hmm. which is really anxiety. Yeah. Equals chemistry and attraction. It means passion when the butterflies just means you're sick to your stomach because you don't know whether this person likes you back. You don't know where this relationship stands is all the unknowns. Mm -hmm. So it's retraining the attraction Mm -hmm. based on how you feel in your body. We love to ask our daters, what's your dating why? And for many of our daters who haven't been married, their dating why is to get in a relationship and get married. For you too, what is your dating why? now? I think for me, it's partnership. And again, I don't equate partnership with marriage, Mm. but just like having a strong partner where, again, I like to plan things. I like to have somebody that I can set goals with. And again, those don't have to be marriage. Like my goal isn't marriage. It's more of life experiences and growing with someone, whatever that looks like. And I think I've been more, learned to be more flexible on that part because straight out of my marriage, I was dating probably to try and get married again, because that is what Mm. I knew. And that's what was very comfortable. Mm. And now that I have some years away from that, and I've grown in the ways that I have like that marriage isn't my end goal, but having a really strong partner that I can build a life with whatever that looks like for me is really what I'm looking for. Yeah, I think my dating why has become that I'm looking for real, true, meaningful, vulnerable, passionate love. Mm. And that could look like a lot of different things. Maybe it's marriage. Maybe it's living together. Maybe it's partnership. You know, there's all different kinds of forms that that can look like. But I know for me, that's what I'm looking for. I did have a bit of a come to Jesus, maybe like a year or so ago of realizing that in the past, I realize that there's a difference between dating Mm -hmm. and pursuing a relationship. I think those are two very different goals. And I think, you know, I know I went through a period and it was a lot of fun and I stand by it. And it was a great thing for me to do where I was just dating. Mm -hmm. It was fun to go out. It was fun to meet people. It was fun to like feel courted. And it's like Mm -hmm. the attention and the validation and the kind of superficial things. And I would have never said this out loud, but that is what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, I transitioned into pursuing a relationship. And that's when you don't necessarily run away when there's something that doesn't Mm -hmm. work perfectly. You might get mad at each other and you work it out instead of calling it quits. You know, there's a transition that happens, I think. And I don't know that everyone is aware of the difference between dating to date and pursuing actual meaningful deep relationships. Those are two different things. I love that distinction. I think there's also a big distinction of a relationship and a partnership. I think that's also another distinction. And what I hear both of you describe is more of a partnership. Like, how did you get from, you know, where you were as hot messes, marriage is the only goal, <laughs> to being so insightful on your why? A lot of bad dates. <laughs> 
path. A lot of mess. I mean, you do learn a lot from the mess. It's kind of why we started our podcast because we had a whole lot of mess going on, but we learned to tell those stories in a way where we grew from it rather than bashing the other person. We looked at ourselves Mm -hmm. and I know I personally grew a lot from those experiences because as you all know, when you're putting your stories out on the internet for people to listen to, like you really think about it and you self-reflect. And I learned how to not get myself into those messy situations and then to understand where I wanted to go, which I hadn't thought about. I didn't sit and really think about why I was dating before. I was just out there doing it. Well, I don't know that you know enough at the beginning. You know, it's kind of like, I know for me, I learned through doing, Mm -hmm. and unfortunately my doing was dating a whole lot. (laughs) I think you get out there. And for me, what I thought about was giving myself grace, understanding that getting healthy and healing is a practice and a journey. And guess what? You can't just flip a switch and suddenly be making healthy choices. You need to give yourself grace and time to build those muscles. And I always told myself, and Laura and I have told each other and everyone who listens to our podcast and all of our friends, that it's okay to be messy. It's okay to be in a mess. It's okay to have days where you can't get out of bed. But what you do need to be doing is moving forward. Maybe they're just tiny, tiny little baby steps, but don't get stuck there. You do need to be moving forward no matter how slowly. Just don't get stuck back there. That's how you meet all of these other daters out there. I met many men that they never moved forward out of their bitterness and spite and you could see it. Mm -hmm. I don't want that to happen to me. That's a great way of putting it. It's just you're still taking the steps. As long as you're moving forward and progressing, Whoever's along for the ride, that's great. If they're not, then you're not aligned. Yeah. Let's hold that thought for a quick message. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. We are so excited to share with you our new podcast exit interview. Dates don't usually end with a satisfaction survey. And yet we rate everything in our lives from Uber drivers to local coffee shops. So why don't we do the same thing when dating? We're here to conduct the ultimate romance review featuring daters hungry for love who have agreed to call up old flames to gather honest feedback. Welcome to exit interview. He upgraded himself to business class while I was in economy. <laughs> Wait, wow. What? There's feedback that will make you cringe. She could be a little bit hard-headed, like not reading the writing on the wall. And feedback that will make you swoon. But she said that she had feelings for you. I had no idea. Really? <laughs> and maybe you'll learn a thing or two yourself about how you can be a better dater, lover, or partner. Obviously, like, knew I was going to learn something. I didn't expect this. Welcome to Exit Interview. Listen to Exit Interview on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We have a lot of listeners who are starting over again, quote unquote, you're never really starting over, but starting to date again, maybe they've never been on an app before because they've been married for 20 some years, or they just got out of a long term relationship, or they've just never really dated. What is some advice you would give to someone who is just getting back into dating, feeling very overwhelmed by 
do I need to create profiles? Do I need to do this and know all the rules? What is some advice you would give to them to ease their fears? I just think it's so tough because we know, we know how hard it is just so hard. And I think acknowledge, like understanding that it is going to be a journey and it is going to be challenging and it is going to be hard to feel safe or trusting. Or I mean, I think dating apps teach you to not be so trusting and to really have your guard up and understanding that balance of when you can let that guard down. And I think that's really hard to navigate early on. Heather, you have, I'm sure, plenty to say. (laughs) I'll frame it kind of like this because most people that are just starting to date are total messes and you can't (laughs) tell them anything. They're going to do what they're going to do. I saw a stand-up act once where someone was like, oh, divorced women, they're like Chernobyl, really hot, but you just got to leave them alone for a few years. (laughs) That's accurate. (laughs) That is not wrong. So to a degree, everything I'm about to say, they're not going to listen to me. So I have a wish. I have a wish about a few things. I think about self-care. When we talk about self-care, we usually see it on social media like, oh, this new candle, oh, bubble bath, oh, glass of wine. Okay, I enjoy doing all of those things. But real self-care is actually caring about yourself. Going to the doctor, flossing, getting your mammograms. When you start dating, not doing things you don't want to do. Wearing protection. So many divorced women do not use protection and STIs and unplanned pregnancies are up. Don't maybe date while you still live in the house with your (laughs) ex-partner, with your ex-spouse. Maybe don't do that. You know, wait till you at least are in a different place. Those are kind of basics that I tell people, mainly the one about don't do anything you don't want to do because your self-esteem is so low. I think coming out of a divorce or separation, you feel lower than dirt. And that puts you in a lot of bad and unsafe situations. I know I made a lot of bad choices and I'm really lucky that nothing really bad happened to me because of it. First of all, glad that nothing bad happened to you because of those Mm -hmm. circumstances. But I think the other piece too, it's like the fact that you two came out of this so positively. I mean, obviously, I don't know where you were like right after the divorce, but the way you frame it now as like the second shot of love, I'm going to learn from what I did the first time and, you know, go into love with a different mindset. How do you get there? Because I think there's a lot of people and maybe this is just like what you were saying, Heather, those first couple years, you need to just let people do them and they'll eventually get there. But let's say you're like straight out of that breakup or divorce. How do you start to be like open again? Or is that something that just comes with time? You need to find other divorce friends. <laughs> I like, I'm not even kidding. That single handedly is the biggest surprise and was the most important thing. And I'm not saying this euphemistically. I think I'd be dead if I didn't hadn't connected with Laura and with our other friend who has been like a big part of my like support network. It is so brutal. Divorce can be so hard. And I know for me, I started my divorce during COVID lockdown before there was a vaccine. <laughs> like it could not have been a worse situation. I really wish that for anyone coming out of a divorce, find other divorce friends, find other women who have been through what you've been through. That's maybe further along. Like that's the key. They need to be a little bit further along to hold your hand and bring you forward and to give you that hope that it's not always going to be like that. Because there are many days where I was like, oh, Laura seems fine. Maybe I'll get there soon. I'm coming. (laughs) Yeah, the community piece I think is huge. And just I think also being able to understand through, like Heather said, others who have come before you that being messy is okay. And to kind of understand that path and just people who understand 
what you're going through because my married friends were very supportive, but they just didn't understand. Mm. They wanted to be helpful, but they didn't know. So our other friend that we talk about that we group chat with all day, every day, she's not local to us. And so she and I got divorced around the same time. So we did go through it together, just not locally together. So we couldn't hang out, but we could talk and commiserate and all of that. But she reconnected with her long lost love. And so she never got on the dating app. So she just like lived vicariously through like my messy stories. And I'd go out on a date and I would text her like where I was going to be. And in case I didn't come home, she could contact someone else and they could <laughs> find me because I didn't have anybody locally even for like a safety plan. Because no, all my friends were married with kids in the suburbs, quiet lives. And I'm out here going on all these Tinder dates. Like it's really hard to be on your own doing that. It can feel very isolating or you're doing something wrong or it's bad. But once you connect with others who are in the same boat, like they just get it. Yeah. I think the biggest mistake people make coming out of divorce is they think that, and I thought this, that you need to fix your love life and your approach to love. Mm -hmm. It's so much bigger than that. I know for me, it impacted everything, absolutely everything in my life. And the biggest surprise and gift has been the other women I've met along the way in the community we've created. It's been such a gift to me, way more than the dates. I love my boyfriend. (laughs) (laughs) I love you. (laughs) What about your views on love? Any changes in that category? Commitment doesn't fix everything. Hmm. You know, like I used to think like, oh, we're getting married and we're just not going to get divorced. That just won't happen. That actually doesn't work. I think some people come to marriage that way and they find a way through and that's great. But for a lot of people, that doesn't work. I think for me with love, if you reach a point where it really has reached its expiration date, I no longer see relationships or a love affair ending as a failure. I've had relationships there were only a few months and they were wonderful and beautiful and I'm so thankful to have had them. They ended. Mm. And I don't think that means they were a failure. And so I just see love very differently now. Longevity is not a measure of success in my book for love and relationships at all whatsoever. Yet we're told that all the time, right? It's like, everyone's like, how long have you been together? Yeah. And if it's like under a certain amount of time, people don't take it seriously. There's a lot to like unravel with what we've been fed for so long. I mean, I don't think I really understood what love meant before. I understood commitment and I was very committed to my husband and my marriage and the family that we were growing and all that. I was very committed, but I don't think I actually like from a romantic love perspective understood it or understood what it felt like. And I think that's been a lot of my journey the past few years of really understanding that and what it means to me. And then I think in all of that process, I also learned to love myself, which I don't think I did before. And I think that has been the bigger gift. There is no better opportunity than to take this time in my life the past few years and get to know myself and grow as a person. And I think the more you love yourself, right, the better you are in relationships. And in my 20s, when I was, you know, met my ex-husband and was trying to figure out all these milestones in my life, I felt so much validation through having a boyfriend, right? Mm -hmm. That that meant so much more that I kind of shielded me from all of the other things I needed to be doing for myself. And I look back, I'm like, I was in my early 20s, I was living in the city, I could have been out having so much fun or trying new things or really learning about myself. But I was so scared to like, go to a movie by myself, or I think a big one is like, go to dinner by yourself. Mm -hmm. When you're young and you're like insecure, you're like, oh, what does it mean if I'm out alone? What do people think about me? Turns out no one cares. But at the time, I just felt like I needed to be in a relationship in order to have that validation. Time and age and divorce teaches you very differently. And you both kind of touched on it. Like there's different qualities now that you see are more important to having that loving relationship. 
I know you both mentioned that you kind of went outside of your typical distance zones with your current partners. And, you know, we've seen people before that just get so hung up on certain things like distance or height or whatever it is, it just makes the population so small. So it's hard to actually find someone then that's when it feels like you're in the needle in the haystack mentality, right? Because you're like, looking for someone that's in this finite group, but also has all the qualities you're looking for. How did you start to drop some of those criteria so you could focus on the stuff that was more important? Man, it drives me nuts when people say things like that. It drives me nuts (laughs) when people say stuff like that. Because so often, I know Laura and I hear from a lot of listeners about, I really want beautiful. I want all that love can offer. I want everything. (laughs) And then they say things like height or their job, or these superficial things. I'm like, "Mm, as long as you have superficial things on your little checklist over there, you're not getting what you're looking for, because none of those things matter in a relationship, like not a single one. And it does drive me nuts. I know for me in my journey, I had a day where I was like, ooh, things like distance, or things like this, that and the other, I pulled it off, you know, my little imaginary checklist, because I was like, does that matter for a real relationship? It matters maybe for dating, it matters in how I see myself. It matters in my superficial point of view. But once you start to grow and heal, you stop caring about that stuff because you know what? It doesn't matter at all. Yeah, I was a definite distance snob. Like I wanted someone to live so close to me because it's convenient and my life is busy and I don't want to have to be driving forever to see them. And that was quite honestly a top factor for me in dating apps. Like I could give or take on height or profession or things like that. But like how far are we? How many miles are we on Bumble? Like what's going on here? And it was just so important. And once I started, you know, had some experiences with people who weren't local, and I started to understand that, like, you know, could this work for me? Am I open? I think you have to understand, am I open to something different than whatever I've had on my list before? Mm -hmm. And you dip your toe in and start to understand it's so much more about the person and not the checklist. I think the universe is really looking out for you, though, Laura, with the whole she sleeps wiped on her current partner, accidentally swiped, right? (laughs) Like while she was sleeping. And that's how they match. And so the universe was really looking out for you, I think. Yeah. Tell us that story again, Laura. Yep. So I was definitely in a dark dating phase. I wasn't in a great spot, wasn't meeting the right people. And I would never have swiped right on somebody who I knew wasn't local. Like I'm eagle eyes on like, all right, what's your location? And where does it say you are? And all of those things. And I woke up one morning and I had a new match in my Bumble queue. And it was somebody from out of state. And it was very clear that he was from out of state. And I was like, well, I have nothing else going on that I'm interested in and his profile seems fine. And so I messaged him and we just kept, you know, he confirmed he was not local and that he'd been going through the, he was at the airport and had opened his apps. And we just kept on messaging and messaging and we had a FaceTime date and then another FaceTime date. And finally it was like, I think you need to come here and I think we need to hang out. And we spent a full like a weekend together and it was so great. And it just was perfect from that point on. But I have no recollection of ever seeing his profile. I would have never swiped right on him. So, I mean, it is a universal mystery. I think this is such a good example of like challenging preconceived notions. Clearly, like Heather said, it was kind of like the sleeping gods did this to you. So that helped you (laughs) challenge those preconceived notions. But you mentioned this earlier, Heather, actually about like how we don't think critically about our partners. 
how can you like start to challenge these preconceived notions? Maybe if you're not so lucky to like sleep swipe on someone, what are some other ways you can start to do this so you think a little more critically? I think sometimes people get so swept up in emotions. I use the analogy of sliders. There's connection, there's time, there's dependence, and they all need to go up at the same time. And I think it's always worth checking in with yourself and asking yourself questions. Can I trust this person? How do I feel about them? How are they treating me? Because I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in the chemistry and the feelings and the attention. And we don't take a step back and think critically about some things that are really obvious. Like, do we argue all the time? Are we mean to each other at times? Can we trust each other? Are we treating each other in a manner that I would expect? We even hear things that are way off the grid. Like people will be in relationships with someone for years at a time and be talking about, oh, they're cheating yet again. Maybe it'll be different next time. And that's an example of someone who is not thinking critically and wasting their own time. I think so many people don't think critically about whether this is actually working, whether it's actually what you want, whether it's actually good and healthy for you, because they know that means they might be alone. And for some people, they would rather be in a toxic relationship than alone. And that makes me really sad because things will never get better unless you start making better choices. And part of making better choices is thinking critically about your relationship and whether it's healthy, good, moving forward, growing, evolving. And we really need to stop and and think about that at times and call it off if it's past its expiration date or end it if it's not healthy. And people just don't do that. We also have a lot of listeners who freak out about the marriage timeline. In fact, I just spoke to a good girlfriend of mine. She's been with her boyfriend for, they're at the three-year mark, and she's like, I need a ring, I need a ring. And she's just like the most independent, strong-willed woman I know. And she's like, I don't know why this drives me crazy, and I don't know why with each passing day without a ring on my finger, it makes me more and more anxious. So for anybody in this position, which is a lot of people, what would you tell them? You need to be able to answer that question. Why is that important to you? You've got to start there. If you can't answer that question, you need to stay there (laughs) until you can answer it to yourself. Why is it important to you? What are you hoping to get out of it? And marriage is meaningful. Like, I don't think either Laura and I would say we're like anti-marriage in any way, but it is a much more serious decision than you would think. And it's also not something you have to do to be with the person you love. You don't have to do that. And I think if you don't know the answer to your own question, then you need to figure that out before you take any further. Yeah. And I think there's also kind of that security piece, like what changes in your relationship once that ring is on your finger? Like, do you think something about them will be different? Or do you not feel secure with them if you don't have that ring? Because again, marriage isn't automatic security. Anybody can leave a marriage at any point in time. So what really is different? Or what does that mean to you to have that ring? I mean, I'm definitely someone that can admit that those thoughts do cross my mind. And I think a lot of times it comes from what culture and society tells us about love. It's like, if they're serious about you, then they'll like put a ring on it, you know, like stuff like that. And you almost like, especially I think women feel this a lot, like you don't want to be taken the fool. So you're like, if I'm three years in and this person hasn't done this, what am I doing? I think that message is ingrained Mm -hmm. so much, especially for women. Since you've realized that that message is not accurate, (laughs) what advice would you have for someone that's feeling that? Like, How do you tune out the world saying that and actually feel confident in your relationship? Mm -hmm. That is really hard. It's really hard to do to unwind an entire 
societal, cultural message, you know, because I think to a degree, as you were talking, Julie, it was making me and I had a little bit of my own aha moment. I think it's that active feeling like you were chosen, you were plucked out of the lineup as the in quotes, number one. And it's almost like assigning a val like that says something about your value that someone wanted to marry me. And I would say a not small number of people maybe subconsciously think that, yeah, you know, it's not so much about I love this person, I want to make this deep, huge commitment to this person. I think that, you know, if you ask them, they would say the right answer. But deep down, I would say there's a not small number of people who they want to feel chosen. And, you know, it's really actually about feeling chosen, feeling like I'm the best. I'm the one they want, which is not a good reason to get married, in my view. I think there's also, though, a piece of what parts of your life are at a standstill until that happens, which I think is a valid way to feel. Like Mm -hmm. if you want to have children and, you know, part of your value system is being married first, then that is important. And that time timeline does matter and kind of understanding where that other person's head is at. If you know you're ready and you want those next steps and for valid reasons, you know, what is happening on their side that they don't feel comfortable moving forward with it or buying a home together. I remember my ex-husband and I bought a condo together before we got married. And my mom was like, what happens if it doesn't, you know, if you don't end up getting married and you've bought this home together as unmarried people. And I was like, it'll be, you know, all of this is so easy. Turns out it's not easy to undo all of those things. (laughs) And it's it's yeah. important to think through those steps. But like, if it's important to you to figure out the marriage first before all of those next life steps, then I do think it is valid to kind of feel this kind of anticipation for that to happen. It seems like such a miracle for two people to be on the exact same yes. page at the exact same time. So there's always going to be someone who's there first. Yeah. And I don't want to invalidate those feelings. Like that is something you need to pay attention to. And I would just encourage anyone to dig down into where's it coming from? Because mm-hmm. it may be something you love this person so much and they're just not there yet or maybe they're never going to be there you know or you're looking for that feeling of being chosen and I think it is important to know which of those things it is and that will give you your clue as to whether to keep going or to maybe make it an end and what conversations you're having you know are you on completely different pages and you want this and your partner is like making fun of you for wanting it or ignoring you or not having those real conversations or on the flip side are you constantly in their face like I need a ring pick up my ring are you going to propose because I think we see that a lot out there as well there is a point of kind of trying to settle down your expectations and kind of being really pushy about it. And I will say I was pushy about it. I made my now ex-husband measure my finger for my (laughs) ring size. And uh, this is what I would like. I was so pushy about it. And I'm sure that he felt very backed into a corner. And I wish I could, you know, have have changed how I acted during that time. But like, you know, your relationship the best and you know what conversations you're having. And if you're with somebody who is so distant about it or won't sit down and understand where you're at and have those bigger conversations, probably not a, a good person to to get engaged to at that time. Totally. Before we go into takeaways, I'm curious, like last question of what your current stance on marriage is. Maybe this is a two-parter. Mm. And then like, if you talk to someone divorced while you were married, what advice would you have wished you had heard? I've actually been thinking about this a lot lately because I have learned that serious relationships at this stage in my life are uncharted territory Mm. when you're with someone who they have kids. I mean, it just happened last night. We were supposed to go on a date and he had some unexpected stuff happen with his kids. And I was like, no problem. I get it. Our kids are always 100,000% going to come first and we have to be supportive of that. And that's different when you're married to the father of your children. Mm. You know, that's Mm -hmm. a different experience. You are not number one. 
<laughs> you know, and that's just how it is. But I know I'm very important. But if his kids need him, he needs to be there. And same thing with me and my kids. And we just get that and you have to be with someone in that way. And it just like extrapolates out into I don't know that I'm ever going to live with someone again, you know, not while I have kids in the house because he's not the father of my children. And I'm just realizing that like partnership and building a life with someone looks a lot different. And so for me, I've been figuring out, well, what is that? Is it living together? Is it getting married? Is it committing to each other? Is it, you know, what does that deep partnership look like? And it's uncharted territory. I think for me, Personally, I'm not anti-marriage, but it does like, I think I'm in a questioning phase. Like, Mm. why would I get married? I'm not sure why I would. I'm not looking to have more kids. I don't know that I need need to live with someone. And I'm not against any of this, but I don't need it the way I used to. So I I don't know. I think for me, I'm in a questioning phase. Not against it. Until I can answer my own why, get married, I won't be doing it. Because I can't answer that question that we were just talking about. I don't know. Yeah, I'm definitely open to it. But I also, I don't need it. And I know that. And I think that's so important. I absolutely don't need it. My life is great, whether or not I'm married. I've lived on my own for long enough now that I think I would have a hard time cohabitating. So that would be a challenge. If I did get married again, I would definitely get a prenup Mm. just for the ease of if it didn't work out. It's much easier to just not have to fight over little things and just end the relationship and go your own separate ways. So I'm definitely pro prenup. (laughs) And then like Heather said, kids, kids are such a big game changer on what that would look like. My current partner does not have children. So it's just me. But I think about the dynamic for them, what that looks like that I never want my kids to not feel comfortable in their own home. And if I brought anybody in, it would be after a lot of time after making sure that everybody is comfortable and on the same page, like as a parent, you don't work independently anymore. And you always have them to think about. So that definitely changes how I view marriage rather than if I didn't have kids. You know, the last few years of my marriage were really rough and I grappled with a lot. And again, I didn't have that aha moment for a while that I was done. And it would have been so nice for someone to tell me that it is okay if Mm. you need to walk away and that you are not a failure. And I think we've talked about this a little bit about feeling, you know, that idea of failure with relationships is really tough. And I think if I had known that it was just okay to be, you know what, it's take care of yourself first. I think take care of yourself first is the biggest piece because I wasn't doing that. I think there would be two sides of it for me. I think it is helpful advice to receive fight like hell for your marriage. Because I do think there are things I could have... I'm not sitting here saying like, oh, my divorce was totally my ex-husband's fault. It's not. I was all part of that too. And there are things that I think if I would have done it differently, maybe we could have worked it out. But I was too immature and I didn't know what I know now. Yeah. Again, I wish I would have gotten divorced before I got married because I'm such a different person in relationships now. I think that is for anyone out there that's maybe in a marriage that's struggling. Look at that. You know, what can you do to get on the same page and and really try make sure you've tried everything before you walk away because divorce is not fun for anyone. I think on the other side of it, if you are definitely getting divorced, I think the advice I wish I would have known at the beginning was to slow down. Mm. I've always had this feeling like, oh, time's ticking, you know, and I'm wasting my life and I'm wasting Mm. my life being upset and miserable and things aren't working. I want to get to the good part. The good part is right now, (laughs) every second of every day, if you choose to see it that way, relationship is not going to fix your life. You know, more money is not going to fix your life. The perfect job is not going to fix your life. Having kids is not going to make you happy. 
none of that's going to do that for you. You have to find a way to be happy in every present moment, no matter what's going on around you. And to me, that's the fight of your life is to find a way to find joy, happiness. What Laura said earlier, I think is really beautiful. You need to start with learning to love yourself because I think a lot of people start the divorce process not even realizing how low their self-esteem is Mm. and they just don't take care of themselves at all. So I would say just start there. Take care of yourself and everything else is going to flow out of that. Love that. I feel like that's like a great takeaway in itself. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, the other takeaways that I've had, this has been such a wonderful conversation. I think the biggest one is this thing critically. It's so fascinating to me that in jobs, we think so critically and all other parts of life, like our careers, even problems we're solving. Yet for relationships, we just kind of fall into things. We think the chemistry will make it work. We don't think about what it actually means to be with someone for the long haul and what qualities even matter. The fact that, you know, it wasn't that you had the wrong checklist. You didn't even have like a checklist a lot of the times. Or if you did have the checklist, it was with qualities that you've just been fed by society that you think matter. And then once you drop those, that's when you actually found the right people for you. And we hear this all the time. Like this is such a common theme, yet for whatever reason, and I loved like what you said, we conflate love and chemistry as the same thing. And we don't know what that actually means. So it's taking a step back and asking your why. What is the why that of why I want to get into a relationship? What's the why of why I want to get married? Or the why of why I'm upset I'm not married? Whatever your like stage is that you're in, digging a little deeper and challenging the preconceived notions and getting to the root of what is it that I actually want. And that might look different than like what UA wants, for instance, and that's okay. And that's where I think we've been so like fed that we need to just go down a certain path all this time that we don't like stop to think and carve out our own path. Yeah, I really truly feel like this conversation is like finding Nemo. I think in those earlier years of dating, you're just this fish swarming. You're just like going with all the other fish. And then here comes Nemo, who's like carving out his own path and figure out like, why am I going with these fish? Why can't I find a home here or find friends here? And so the difference between the way you two are speaking now that you've been through the whole marriage thing and people who haven't is people who haven't, the main question they always have is what's next? That's Mm -hmm. always a question in dating. What's next? When's the next date? What's the next milestone? What's the next act of service my partner can do for me and vice versa? But now you two have been through it. Your question is, but why? There's so much intentionality and presence behind that question because it makes you stop and go, huh, but why? Why am I doing that? Why do I feel that way? I almost have to say, like, I think it's we can talk about this advice and these takeaways all we want. Part of me thinks people just need to go through it in order to know it. Yeah. Sometimes it's just like maybe people who are so wanting marriage, just do it. Like, <laughs> go do the thing. And then they'll realize like there, we can only say so much, but people need to experience it for themselves. But it's good to have those go into the marriage experience, having heard these perspectives of people who've been through it. That is it. So for all of our listeners, we're like, we're not trying to convince you one way or another, or the whole goal here is to give you a holistic view of what marriage, love, commitment could be. And even if it doesn't work out, it's not the end of the world because both of you sound like you have fucking great lives right now. So it's like, right. it's not the end. It just gets better. And it just gets better with all the human experiences that we have. 
I do wish people would be easier on themselves. You know, like you feel like, oh, why people are so hard on themselves and you're so mean to yourself. Like, why don't I have it all figured out? I'm such a mess. I'm, you know, my life is a clusterfuck. You know, people, we say that to ourselves, right? And I just wish we would be kinder and treat ourselves the way that we hopefully treat other people that life really is a journey. It's a whole journey. There's no like ultimate destination. It's, you know, a lifetime of moments where we're learning and growing and evolving and it's a process and you're not going to get it perfect probably ever. And it's better to accept that and just like learn what you can along the way. I love that. I think this whole conversation isn't like pro or against marriage. It's more of just find what works for you and have intention behind it. Yes. And do things that are true to you, not just because you're told that you're supposed to do something. And I love this mentality of having grace with yourselves because the only time that you can truly learn what it is like you two talked about we had to go through that mess period when we started dating is that really showed us what we needed to do differently and what we needed to change and the accountability that's the number one thing is the more we can take whatever is happening in our lives and reflect instead of just blame other people that's when the growth happens Thank you too so much for being on our show. So lovely to chat with you both again. If people want to learn more about Thursday, the podcast, where can they go? Yep, we're on socials at, at Thursday, the podcast and Thursday, the podcast.com. Awesome. Yep. You can listen to our show wherever you find your podcast. We are all over the place. Pick a spot. We're there. So you can just Google uh, Thirsty the Podcast and you'll find us. And if you want, you can go back to the very beginning and hear some of these terrible but very entertaining <laughs> dates that we went on back in yesteryear. Oh, my God. I think I need to do that tonight. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to send us a note afterwards and be like, oh, my God. <laughs> That is very enticing. Yeah. And we'll also <laughs> make sure to link in the show notes so people have those direct links as well. Wonderful conversation. Thank you all for listening. While you're searching for Thursday, the podcast, why don't you give them a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts? You know, it's really simple. And then while you're there, go to Datable and do the same for us. And in the body of your review, you can talk about something you learned in this episode. You can tell us your own thoughts about love and commitment. Spill your guts out to us. <laughs> We love it when people do that in their review. And then we're going to wrap up this episode. Stay Dateable. The Dateable Podcast is part of the Frolic Media Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at Dateable Podcast and visit datablepodcast.com for access to all the episodes and our premium programs. Also, make sure to subscribe today if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform so you are the first to get all the latest episodes. And most importantly, stay dateable. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.